understand pedestrians walk a chamomile in their shoes. This week, Council's on break, and so are me and Mac. On break, that is. He's off gallivanting the world, and who knows who he's podcasting with. Uh, They probably have a deep radio voice and are able to interview guests without alienating them. Hi, I'm Troy, and for the first time since this podcast has launched, you're going to hear just one voice say that I'm speaking municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 62. I am alone in the chair. Normally, Mac bounces things off me and... In this segment where I don't know what to say off the top and I try and find that little thread, I'm bouncing off Mac and really finding that thread and I'm not finding it today. I'm just talking at a mic and it's going to get really awkward the whole podcast, at least until I introduce my guests later on. But that comes after the rapid fire segment, which I'll be doing all alone. Oh, boy. Edmonton City Centre Mall and the related Oxford Towers have been sold to an international consortium of investors. While they released a statement extolling the virtues of Ice District, the growing downtown population, and the new LRT connection, the new owners have not done any interviews providing additional details on their short- or long-term goals. This is not because no one was made available for interviews, rather that the meeting place was the Bay downtown, and it was impossible to find a time when the location was open. Snowpocalypse rolled into Edmonton last weekend, and over 360 Edmontonian drivers drove their cars into other things that they probably shouldn't have driven into. The city has said that sand and salt were applied to priority areas like intersections and hills in the days leading up to the snowfall, and social media channels were updated encouraging commuters to take their time and drive safely. However, like the past winter and the winter before that and the winter before that, since the personal vehicle was invented, it was impossible to predict that snow would fall in November and that multiple car pileups involving that dude driving the Honda Civic with bare tires, 10 over the limit, right up on everyone's ass, is simply an inevitability. Happy winter, Edmonton. Finally, Calgary has been awarded the honor of, quote, best driving city in the world, according to a survey by Mr. Auto, based out of Britain. This survey looked at things like congestion, car ownership per capita, roadway infrastructure, and air quality, among other factors, and then synthesized it together in a list that included Calgary in first place, Ottawa in third, and Vancouver in sixth. Edmonton did not place in the top 100, however. When asked how he felt about that, Don Iveson was livid, committing to spending an additional $17 billion to add an additional 20 lanes to the Yellowhead. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And this week, I'm going to tell you about the Edmonton Community Foundation, which you should know is a bridge between donors and the charities to help create strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches 10 grand, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. And this year's focus is on arts, philanthropy, green spaces, sport, and recreation. To learn more, you can check out ecfoundation.org. Wow, so the timer's got about three, four minutes, and this has just been me talking. There's no reprieve, and we got to bail out of that real quick. And I'm joined by Sarah Hoyles, the Executive Director of Paths for People, an organization that champions active transportation in the city of Edmonton. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Wasn't it fun to just like sit there awkwardly and pretend you weren't on the podcast while Troy just went on and on? It wasn't too awkward. Oh, yeah. Uh you noticeably didn't actually laugh at the rapid fire segment into the mic. Normally when I have guests on, they're like, do, do I laugh? Do I stay quiet? 
we're off mic. Um, and I appreciate that because the listener, they know that the jokes aren't actually that funny. <laughs> anyway, so you're the executive director of Paths for People. Try and- saying that five times fast. Hey, it's a Pass for people, pass for people, it gets tricky. Okay. Is that what you do at the start of every board meeting? Yeah. All of us needs to say it, need to say it five times fast. Yes. So <laughs> what is Paths for People? In the executive director's words, what what's this all about? We basically want to help people and Edmonton, the big Edmonton with capital E, uh, get on their bikes and walk and actually have infrastructure to do that. Um, so Paths for People, you've been around for four-ish, five years now? I personally have been around Paths for People for about a year now, but the organization uh, was founded in 2015. So yeah, we're just just a wee babe. And in the past year, you've actually done a lot of pretty big, noticeable stuff. So I'm really tired. I'm really tired. <laughs> um, so sole credit for that, I'm sure, is belonging to you. Oh, come on. No, I can't do that. Uh, so... Some of the big things that happened in the past year, um, open streets. Tell us a bit about that. Big, massive street party right down on Jasper Avenue. We closed it for more than a kilometer uh, for the day in August on a Sunday afternoon. And there were lots and lots of doggos and people on their bikes and people on scooters and people walking. And there were yoga classes and a climbing wall. The whole idea, though, is just to reimagine what a main street can look like, and it doesn't necessarily have to be prioritized for cars. So, yeah, letting people's imaginations run wild and actually get them to not just like be really cerebral in their brain about imagining it, but actually get to experience it. Yeah, it was a huge success. We anticipated 5,000 people, and we had more than 10,000. So, I've always wondered when festivals say, yeah, we got this many people. How do you know? How do you know? Well, unfortunately, well, no, not unfortunately. It was free. So we didn't have an admission gate. There was no like point of entry. We just basically said for folks to come and adventure and explore their downtown like they never have before. So, yeah, it was tricky. We had counters, uh, people that actually had those little clicky, clicky clicks, clicky. That's the new official term for them. Clicky clicks. And um, they uh, they counted a certain section of folks for a certain period of time. And then we have a formula that we did not develop. We developed best practices um, by Minneapolis. Folks that actually do open streets down there, like they are pro at it. So they said, this is the for- the formula that we use. And then we know other folks use it as well. So we, t- we put our numbers in and ta-da, 10,000. Um, some people were saying 15,000. Some other people were saying 20,000, but we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just let we know for sure, for certain that there were more than 10,000. That sets up your next event to just be a failure because it only gets 19,000. <laughs> exactly. Um, so speaking of next event, this is inspired by stuff like Seclovia and yeah. Bogota. And those are frequent events, like almost every Sunday. This one has happened once on Jasper. And there's more events in the works, theoretically, and in the planning stage, but it's not as frequent. Tell us a bit about that and why. Why Why don't we close Jasper Ave every Sunday? Oh, wouldn't that be a dream? Yeah. Um, well, ultimately, 2019 Open Streets was a proof of concept to say, yes, this is something that we can do. 
not only that, but there's an appetite for it. So when those 10,000 people and their dogs decided to descend on Jasper Avenue, we're able to say, and we have the photos to prove it, (laughs) no Photoshop involved, that there were tons of people down there and that they want to see and engage with their city in this way. So that's one. So we needed to just prove that it was actually viable. So we have that in our in in the bag. It's done. Then it's looking at uh, feasibility and how much does it actually cost to shut down a a street? So how much does it actually cost? Uh, What it came and the way that it worked this past year was that the city uh, said that they would cover the closure, which involved uh, traffic rerouting, uh, enforcement and uh, transit rerouting. And the price tag that they gave us initially was about $58,000. And when all was said and done, it came in around thirty-four, which is a lot of money. That's, yeah, that's a pretty big sum. But the city covered that. So Paths for People didn't pay any of that. It was the city paying itself for doing its job. Yeah, we never saw a, a, a dollar of that. It just basically went from one column to another column within the city. I mean, lots of festivals in the city don't get that kind of support and it's usually a one-time deal. We would love it if the city stepped up and and made it possible. Ultimately, that's a a big price tag. Mm -hmm. And so it actually deters organizations and festivals and grassroots groups from actually being able to activate the streets. So yeah, I guess it would just be an encouragement for the city to to look at those costs and how there can be cost sharing and would be really helpful. <laughs> so upcoming, there's a similar-ish event. Mm. Uh, I know Candy Cane Lane is going uh, car-free. You bet. Tell us a bit about that. Is that the same deal with the city and you cooperating to close a street or is this a path for people? What's What happened there? What the heck? Um, so... Candy Cane Lane actually approached us. They saw that we were successful with open streets, said, hey, these people know a thing or two about streets and paths and people and street closures and creating programming that actually speaks to that type of activity. So uh, they reached out to us and said, hey, can you plan this for us? So it's not actually taking away any of the traditional classic ways that Candy Cane Lane has been run, which is with vehicles. Uh, We are getting an extra day. So that's on December 12th, which is a Thursday, and we're running it from six to nine, like usual hours. And it's just going to be open to pedestrians and cyclists. I'm really hoping for some snow so we can have some cross-country skiers. Um, Of course, the horse sleighs will be in action as well. It's it kind of it really nicely dovetails with open streets and we are a winter city. So it's really great to see that there are activities. We're not just, you know, we're all going home and hibernating and shutting our doors and windows and just staying home for the winter, but actually finding ways to engage with it. So and then hopefully open streets will happen. Uh, we are, like you said, you you referred to that. Yes, we are planning for 2020. We are planning for hopefully, fingers crossed, two events, one on uh, in Old Strathcona and one back on Jasper. So that sort of segues into another question I had, because Candy Cane Lane is a great example of that. Mm. I am a year round cyclist, but I can acknowledge it's harder to ride a bike in winter with all the slush. And historically, Paths for People has had a pretty bike focused land, like Paths for People instrumental in getting the downtown bike grid approved. But lately, I've seen a lot less focus on bike based advocacy and more on just things like open streets, things like Candy Cane Lane. Is that a deliberate idea from Paths for People? Was this a policy directive or is this just something that sort of fell into place? Hmm, That's a really great question. I think... Uh, I would actually zoom out a little bit and say, 
who else is in this ecosystem? And you see Bike Edmonton, formerly Edmonton Bicycle Commuters. They do incredible, incredible work. They have workshops, they do incredible advocacy. And we felt that, you know, we were stepping on toes and there was duplication of effort and resource. And we're both, you know, not in it for the big bucks. So we need to be resourceful and um, yeah, really consider where we're putting our energy. We decided that we wanted to support them. And definitely if they were doing some initiative, we would put our support behind that. But we wanted to broaden the scope and look at pedestrians and cyclists, active transportation. I mean, ultimately, that's what it is, is it's active transportation, which is clunky. I wish it was a nicer, friendlier, warmer word. It's a very like city bureaucrat word. Yeah. So I usually break it down to say, you know, walking, rolling and cycling. Uh, We don't want to be ableist. We are not ableist. So making sure that we look at um, who are sidewalks for, who are active transportation corridors, aka bike <laughs> lanes, who are those for? Um, yeah, it's it's about looking because ultimately cars, there's a lot of money that goes into that. So they have lobbying groups and groups that are able to really, you know, mobilize mm-hmm. and pedestrians you don't need anything to walk. You don't, they're like... <laughs> Every driver is a pedestrian at the start and end of their commute. Yes. Yeah. Hey, um, Troy. <laughs> it's almost as if like we chose the guest based on some ideological perspective that the podcast holds. We don't have any semblance of journalistic integrity on this podcast. Max out Heck of town. no. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you brought up an interesting comment about what do we call the bike lanes now? And has this been a discussion that's going around? Because we got scoots now. Mm-hmm. There's, but aside from the Lime and Bird scooters, like actual just like seniors using their scooters. Those are in the bike lanes all the time too. Are we doing a disservice by calling them bike lanes? I I, I think in a way we are. I think it's a misnomer and it, it makes some folks feel that they are entitled to use and other people are discouraged from use. I like, and I like, it's so clunky. I mean, it adds an additional word onto active transportation, but I refer to them as active transportation corridors. All right. We're going to have to really workshop a better <laughs> I know, word we gotta for that. we got to rebrand that. Uh, maybe it's just the answer is to name every single bike lane. We've got the Garcona Strass and the Oliver Bond. Mm-hmm. We just have to literally name every bike route and then just you know, there's two cities, one with a number based system and the other like a Sherwood Park within Edmonton with names everywhere that no one can get around. That's the solution <laughs> to this problem. Perfect. Uh, so jumping back a little bit into stuff that you've done this year. So Open Streets was a big success, but it's not the only thing that you did this year. Yeah, I mean, we've accomplished a lot. I'm only part time. So it's it's me with our board who's very much involved and lots of volunteers. We did Missing Links, which really mobilized folks all across the city because you know sometimes people can feel that active transportation is only for core dwellers and you know for the elites and that's really not who active transportation is for it's it's for everyone because we are all only temporarily able-bodied we all like when we're little we don't get to we can't drive a car and nor should we and you know when we get older there's the possibility that we'll lose a license um as we should safety safety first so um looking at all users the full spectrum and uh so we wanted to ask people where they live you know what are the issues that you face as a user as a person that's out walking in your neighborhood and we don't 
claim to be experts on every street and every sidewalk in the city. So we asked folks, hey, what do you notice when you do your daily commute or when you're walking the kids to school or going to catch the bus? What do you experience? And then they let us know what those were. They're called missing links or that's what we called them. And that's uh, what the city called them too in their official report. (laughs) That was like a huge fist pump when, (laughs) when we saw that they actually integrated our terms of missing links in into the into the whole report as someone who got yeg corzone with a hashtag in a report (laughs) yep i can agree with that feeling yeah it feels like okay we're actually making an impact we're actually being heard um so that felt really good and yeah the there was a desire by the city council to implement and actually you know raise the the budget for fixing sidewalks which is really really important In a lot of ways, the Missing Links project, how it was rolled out, it felt a little bit like the Edmonton project in that it was just like, you know, getting a broad consensus of Edmontonians to put forward ideas that they have of how their city can be improved, you know, with a more narrow focus. But it's different. And Mac and I have complained about the gondola. We might not get into it. We've complained about the gondola being selected as the winner. I've never several heard times. you be complain complain ever. So this is shocking. I'm told we have to have Jeffrey on the podcast at some point to have him school us on the gondola. I'm sure that will happen. But gondola issues aside, the Edmonton project you have like it came out with this 40 million pie in the sky dream. With missing links, I biked to the farmer's market. And Gateway Boulevard at 83rd Ave has a sidewalk now. That was a missing link that the city identified. So, like, we already have material impact coming from this. That is a beautiful, like, it's just a thing of beauty, that shared path, uh, shared so use path. So wide. Oh. And, like, I can't I can't believe it wasn't there before because, like, farmer's market people just, like, there were desire lines all over that grass. All over. All over the place. Um, yeah, when that went in, I was actually there when they were constructing it and I was just, like, I was drooling. <laughs> But really what it did is we asked all Edmontonians from all across every single ward to tell us what is missing, what's a missing link. So missing sidewalk, missing piece of bike infrastructure or missing crosswalk. And we got more than 200 responses. We put it on a, on a map. Um, I put it on a map. Oh my gosh. I did not think, I mean, we didn't anticipate the kind of response that we got. What's the, what was the scope of the response? Well, we had we had more than 200 submissions, so it was just it was bananas. (laughs) And I had to take every single one. Um, We had parameters to like get folks to actually input them with the address and if they had a photo and a description of what the issue was and how they'd like to see it resolved. And I had to take that and put it on the map. So there was a lot of emails back and forth when I didn't quite understand um, places. And a lot of times I was like, no way no way that that sidewalk just starts like and stops right there oh yeah it does <laughs> oh edmonton <laughs> it is the most edmonton thing you could do you could even say mm-hmm. the city probably wouldn't appreciate us saying that though <laughs> you talk about championing active transportation and you say walking rolling cycling where does the bus fit into that and public transportation because that's not inactive transportation but it's not necessarily the same would you agree i 100 percent agree i mean it's really about a network it's looking at how do all the different modes of transportation talk to each other and do they actually you know dovetail with one another and work together or work against each other so i mean even when scooters showed up 
some folks were like, is it active transportation? Is it not active transportation? And to me, it's just about enabling people to have choice on how they get around the city. So yeah, bus, definitely a part of the conversation, but not in the active transportation portfolio. I bring this up because we've got a bus network redesign on the table. I'm sure you've probably looked at it at some point. Is this something that passive people would wade into normally talking about transportation redesign in terms of bus network do you have a question you want to ask me well, i feel like you're just like what should i ask just go for it rip look, the band-aid off it's not that i don't want to put you in a situation where you can make <laughs> uncomfortable commentary for your organization i definitely do want to do that but it's bad radio when you just say no comment um so given that let's talk about the transportation redesign because part of one of the big changes is it's high frequency and that means less neighborhood feeder routes. So it means you have to walk more. Um, were there any conversations between P4P and the city on perhaps what that looks like? Because you then basically have the city saying, we need to integrate active transportation more into our bus network. And I don't know that that's been a conversation that's been had on the bus network redesign. It was sort of just 400 meters bus stop rule is gone and more like 600 or 800 meters now. Yeah, we weren't consulted. I think, again, you pointed out the fact that, you know, our our lens is, is more active transportation. But, I mean, point taken, if there's less residential, less community routes, then people are going to be walking more. And that's what they're being told, unless they talk about um, the idea of having shuttles. So... Um, whether they're commercial or um, like private or public, that remains to be seen. If we have micro, I mean, it's referred to as micro transportation or mm -hmm. uh, with scooters actually having viable options. But when we look at, and this is not the fault of, of the scooter companies, it's just the way that Edmonton is laid out, that it, it doesn't necessarily make it viable to have scooters all across the city. So oh, it's a head scratcher. <laughs> And speaking of scooters, I know you worked pretty closely with at least one or two of the scooter companies when they came in. Was there any discussion of how scooters were going to operate in the winter? Because, I mean, right now the scooters are gone and I'm sad about that. But Lime appeared for a couple days in the middle of winter. Do you know what the strategy is? Do you have any inside insight of like when the scooters are coming back? Oh, I wish. I mean, I saw that. I felt that they were very agile, like really quick to when the snow melted, they were right back out there again. That's like a pretty good infrastructure to like deploy that many scooters. That's a fleet of vans that required to do it. Yeah. I mean, really in initial conversations, the idea was once the snow flies, scooters come off the roads and they get, you know, warehoused for until the snow leaves permanently for the springtime into the summer, which is unfortunate. I mean, we are a really northern city, so we would love to see the scooter companies, you know, figure out some, the technology to make it happen. Like, like a bike share, maybe, in, in addition? Ooh, I see where you're going. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be phenomenal. Um, I mean, there's just so many moving parts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, if nothing else, the scooter sharing, the e-scooters demonstrated that there's an appetite that Edmontonians want to have options and they use them, uh, some more creatively than others. <laughs> if I want to use a scooter as a candle, I should be entitled to do that. That's... What is with Edmonton and lighting modes of transportation on fire? Jeez Louise. Um, what was your question? <laughs> 
no knowledge of what the question was. We will move on to the next one. <laughs> I know at some point we mentioned winter and snow. And as someone who cycled up 83rd Ave the other day, uh, I recall in previous years, there was a bike lane on 83rd Ave from 99th Street to uh, 96th Street. I don't think there is anymore. Uh, the plowing ended at 90. Ninth, just like where the dedicated bike lane ends you're nodding your head in a very like sympathetic and sad and pitiful way what what let's have some paths for people thoughts on this scenario what what happened to our snow clearing strategy i i'm that was really surprising when when we saw that i mean it people on twitter were definitely sharing about it it's disappointing that we you know if it's only where the the actual separated bike lanes are that we're getting clearing um isn't that tacit acknowledgement that what we have east the bike boulevard quote unquote isn't actually bike infrastructure well i said separated Mm -hmm. separated uh bike lanes so um yeah i mean it's a visual cue to operators i would love to give the benefit of the doubt and say they're not necessarily familiar with (laughs) but if you have a big old cement barrier you know that there's a a active transportation corridor right there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) good segue on the word yeah uh, i'm 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 gonna make it work i am gonna force people to use it so there's a bike there's an active transportation corridor there that's not (laughs) cleared has there been any discussions because again this was a pretty big advocacy goal of winter snow clearing and i know past people spoke up during the calcium chloride discussion and said hey we would like calcium chloride on the bike lanes or on the active transportation corridors thank you because snow disproportionately affects people who are Mm -hmm. wheeling around but we didn't get it on that section anymore do you think that this clearing has something to do with calcium chloride not being allowed on the roads anymore so they just said that's a road now because Hmm. it's not separated by concrete I think that is a fair point and it would be worth further conversation. I mean, I I don't know. I can't speak for the city, sure. but I would say that um, I can see that that would be that could have been the thought process. It's unfortunate um, because we have seen uh, there's there have been great photos taken by folks that are riding their bikes and really showing the difference between what the bike lane that has actually had the proper clearing done. I shouldn't say proper. That's <laughs> that's a, a qualitative uh, description, but um, that it the calcium chloride was actually applied to it. So you, you could see it was bare pavement, which is much safer for cyclists, but also people that are uh, might have mobility issues. It's I mean, if, if you're using a walker, what do you want to be on? You want to be on clear pavement. You don't want to be on snowpack. Not to also mention that you also don't want curb dips at every street and the bike lanes are the active transportation corridors are (laughs) really good advantage in that regard. I love your commitment. Thank you so much. (laughs) Uh, All right. So I'm not getting you to attack the city quite yet. I haven't. Keep trying. Keep trying. We're going to try one. We're going to have one last hurrah and we're going to talk about fair policy because Upcoming next week, transit fares are up for discussion. And I have made my position that transit should be free very clear, but we actually got real material data on fare decreases. I wanted to get some interesting thoughts, especially because of the walkability aspect. So for some context, 
The report said basically there's some internationally recognized research that for every 3% you decrease fares, ridership increases about 1%. So the effect being if we were to make transit free, ridership of transit would go up about 30% overnight and that would increase the mode share from about 9% currently to about 12%. I'm getting some positive nodding. That's a good thing, right? Well, that would there would be so many benefits from that mm-hmm. because it actually would encourage walkability. And it would also, I mean, and when we talk about walkability, that, you know, nicely puts in cycling in there as well. But the idea that it boosts the economy because people actually are more likely to make uh, unplanned stops. So especially if, even when you're on the bus, that is also the case. Looking at our you know, sustainability and the climate emergency, that would actually have a really great benefit as well. Um, lowering emissions, man, also just sense of community. That's really, to me, what the true honest to goodness value of walkability and cycling is, is that people actually see each other mm-hmm. and know each other. And it's... I see the person in the car that I'm giving the finger to. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I make eye contact when I do that. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Uh, so, but I really truly feel that it's about, you know, cost. And when we say that driving a car is free, it is not. It has implied cost and it's cost that is then taken up by the city, which is taxpayers. It's just, you know, with bus fares, it's something that comes out of someone's pocket. The city, of course, recommended that we didn't make transit free in the report. Um, But one of the key justifications they gave for that is in other jurisdictions, because there have been a couple cities around the world that have done free transit. And what those jurisdictions have tended to see is that there was less people giving up their car ownership to bus but there were a lot of people that were previously walking and saying walking long distances and they were just buses free i'm going to jump on for a few blocks the way they framed it was that was eating into the mode share of active transportation do you have any thoughts on that as an idea or a discussion point again i think it just it speaks to the idea of having it's a transportation network and all of the different pieces transit cycling scooting driving a car, they all should talk to each other. It shouldn't be one being prioritized over another. And when it comes to public transit, I mean, I think the redesign, the the system is what, more than 20 years old? So it's due up for a redesign. I just, I, I think we're seeing low ridership because the system's not working. So let's figure out ways to help it to work better. Reroutes, like replanning it, um, refreshing it is one option. But I would also say that what are the fares? And I know that they are a lot higher than they are in other cities that have more effective public transit. So if we were actually like, what is the value? I think that is worth an exploration. So I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm sounding like really like I'm sitting on the fence. I don't want to. Uh, uh. But um, as someone who was rejected from the paths for people bored. Oh, I can't come s- off it. You are not rejected. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Um, I would. I mean, Sarah Hoyles personally. Yeah. Bus buses should be free. And and like period. Sure. Uh it's, you know, it's a it's a social justice issue. 
It's about people having access and being able to work and being able to get to childcare. These are vulnerable populations, people that tend to use public transit in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Not so in like Toronto or New York. Everybody uses it. There's like a stigma here. Oh, you take the bus? You know, oh, poor you. You had to take the bus. I don't know. I, I was rather disappointed when on for election day that the you know that it there was the idea of making transit free and it, that was you know not taken up by council so i don't know again i think it's proof of concept like can we give it a go <laughs> can we give it a try like come on i mean we're in a climate emergency guys okay so i have gotten almost uh, an attack on the city from you so we'll call that a win for today so wrapping up a little bit, Paths for People, you said yeah, there's plans for 2020. What's coming up? What should people be watching for? Well, of course, Candy Cane Lane, uh, the walk night, or we're calling it car-free Candy Cane Lane, is the 12th of December, which is a Thursday night. Then we're going to, we're bringing in, this is like exclusive, Troy. Oh, wow. Are we breaking news again? We are breaking news. News flash. Can we have like a sound effect? We're like, it will go in in post. Okay. Um... We're going to be welcoming a speaker from Brisbane, Australia. His name is David um, Endwich, and he is a creative thinker around transportation and dealing with like creative solutions for slowing people down in neighborhoods. Ooh. Yeah, I All think right, that might be something that some you're jazzed about. Some core zone stuff there. <laughs> so is this like speaker series like you did with Gil Penalosa or SaticCon? You betcha. And we're going to be presenting it in February. So coming up pretty soon. And then we'll be ramping up to do Open Streets 2020, which will be in June and August. And we'll also be doing more of our scooter tours, um, teaming up with the Edmonton Historical Board and potentially Lyme. They were pretty stoked on on the event. Um, yeah, where we tootled around the city and learned about the heritage of the city. Can confirm. Was a good tour. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, we continue to do advocacy, continue to champion when things are coming to council. We like to not just always be like the torchbearer or like the head of the spear. We really like to uh, help other groups. So like Yeg Core Zone or Bike Edmonton, if they have another initiative that's happening, we don't need to be the lead. We can support, but then we'll see what happens. And we are pretty nimble, so we're able to adapt. So, <laughs> oh boy, who knows what 2020 is going to hold. All right, cool. Got through the plugs and we have to plug ATB, our sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member. I want to tell you about ATB. And through transformation, ATB is bringing together world-class talent to change how humans experience technology and banking. By combining cutting-edge technology and banking, it's just one more way that ATB is working on being relentlessly inventive for Albertans' greater good. You can visit atbalphabeta.com to learn how ATB is transforming banking. And that's like alphabeta is in the greek letters or you know google's product design phases you can probably do it it's not the actual greek letters it's like a l p h a b e t a whoa that's all for this week thanks for joining us sarah uh do you want to like plug where people can follow you and keep oh. updates and do that sure i mean can always just head over to the search engine i'm not going to plug a specific search engine it's gonna be google <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, not explorer. Okay. Um, no. Wait a minute. Not. Ex I don't mean explorer. Um, 
Oh yeah, Bing. DuckDuckGo is an option. <gasps> if that's we're great. Yeah, around. yeah. That's privacy minded. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, go to DuckDuckGo. Cool. And uh, you can search us that way, or you can find us at Paths for People. The the word, not the number. PathsforPeople.org. And uh, yeah, we've got all kinds of different handles on on the socials. So give us a look, see, and uh, yeah, we'd love to. I don't know what I was gonna say. <laughs> champion your causes for the active transportation corridors we'd love to see you out there on edmonton's active transportation corridors that's a real radio voice i don't know if we're actually (laughs) going to air that uh that's one i'm going to be out of a job Uh, i am told at this point in the show notes to plug taproot edmonton's new podcast speaking artistically it's a podcast about the arts and you can see by the name that it's speaking artistically. I have influence on the Edmonton podcasting scene. So you should listen for that reason alone. The first episode came out this week and they're talking about Six, which is at the Citadel. Have you seen Six yet? No. You should. Um, it's very good. I'm talking both to you, Sarah, and you, dear listener, because I haven't forgotten this intimate conversation that we have. Very good. It's like Spice Girls telling the story of Henry VIII's six wives. And it's real like feminist poppy it's it was a good really good show the same cast is going to broadway next year so this is the second time we're getting a pre-broadway show in edmonton so. i did see the first one yeah hades town was really good it was and good one i think like 12 tonys one this year. gajillion yeah that is the precise number okay until next week i'm troy and i'm sarah and we're speaking, speaking municipally, municipally.